0: hello and welcome to leading from the middle I'm your host Kevin Pratt and today we're going to cover the art of negotiating this is a process that's required in every aspect of your life but more importantly the art of sales so stay tuned and get ready for the art of negotiating well welcome back first I'd like to start out by sharing a little bit about myself and why I feel I am an expert at negotiating. First of all, I have 32 years of experience. And when I say 32 years, I'm not that old. I'm only 47 years old. However, I started selling flowers every holiday from a store called People's Drug Store in Washington, D.C. It's now CVS. But I started out doing that At the ages of uh, 9 and 10, before I was able to work a summer job at 12, I did door-to-door sales for all fundraisers. So I was a kid that was knocking on the doors selling candy, Christmas wrapping, or whatever we were selling in school just to win that sparkly bracelet or that shiny shark teeth necklace that we all wanted as Jim boys. I sold women's shoes for Baker's Shoe Store. I did it as assistant manager and then as a manager before going to work at AT AT&T at age 23. So I sold everything about telecom you can think of. I sold fax machines, phone systems, service plans, et cetera, early on. And I'm not talking about the paper, hard paper, fax machine. I'm talking about that thermal paper that came in a spool that after a few months, even a year of being in a folder, the ink would fade. So y'all know what I'm talking about. I've received training from multiple organizations. I don't know if you remember a program called Selling to Veto. It was short for very important top officers. So that was selling to people at the manager level, at the C level. And for those that don't know what I'm talking about in terms of C level, that's your CFO, your CEO, your COO. So all Cs of, of levels of importance in a company. I've done spin selling. Spin selling is just simply taking uh, the opportunity and use it in a way that talks to the strength of the product and how it could benefit the opportunity for the for the client or the customer so that it's not fitting a square peg in a round hole, you're taking something that was designed to do and you're solving a problem. I've been through a six step selling process, which is lead generation. And then once you gather leads and you get a call, you set appointments, you go through a fact finding session, you go through a portion of overcoming objectives, and then you position the solution from a value proposition standpoint so that you're not just giving them something that doesn't fit a need, but it's a value to them. If you sell, if you negotiate based on value, you really win a lot of opportunities that you're supposed to win. And I'm not saying win in terms of someone has to lose, but there's a benefit for both parties. And then, of course, you close. This -hmm. is the part where... Seasoned professional sellers say, press hard three copies, because back in the old days, we had a white copy, a yellow copy and a pink copy. And you had to make sure you press hard enough. So when you left that customer with that either yellow or pink copy, they could read the signature and the opportunity. So today I'm going to talk about three things. I'm going to talk about. Fact finding overcome an objective, value proposition, and we're going to do that a few ways. I'm going to share a few trade secrets that will allow you to win the deals you're supposed to win. You see, not all deals are to be won. It has to be a win-win scenario for both parties. And believe it or not, some opportunities you really have to walk away because all customers aren't your customers. For a lot of different reasons that I don't have time to go into today, that'll be another podcast. But all deals aren't to be won. So win the ones that you're supposed to win and move on. Just like all teams aren't a team that you belong on. All jobs aren't supposed to be yours. So learn, grow, and understand quickly. I'm going to teach you how to use transferable skills. Because negotiation is the same with a job search is the same with customer service It's also the same with your own purchases. I'm not saying you can go into a retail store and get a cheaper price, but when you're in negotiations for a car or house or even a career, there's opportunities when you can negotiate different aspects of that opportunity. But first you have to understand your competition. So if you look at an example of of AT&T and Verizon, you have to understand both their strengths and weaknesses. Companies don't become a powerhouse just because they have a good brand. They have a lot of strength that you need to know about. But everybody has a weakness, even if it doesn't seem like something big. You have to understand what those are and position yourself against it. Not talking down to competition, but just talking about how your opportunity or your proposition is better based on the merits of the conversation. So let me give you an example. If I was selling a high-end vehicle, since I'm not getting paid for advertising, I'll leave it generic. But let's say a high-end vehicle at $100,000 and a middle of the road vehicle at $50,000. Well, I'll look for opportunities of white glove service at the $100,000 service. I'm at the $100,000 price tag. So if I sell a vehicle, I'm going to talk about all the VIP services that you get from owning a vehicle of that stature. I'm going to talk about probably the, uh, the handmade parts. I'm going to talk about how the cost of service is included up to a certain point. So, I'm going to talk about all of those things. However, if I'm, if I'm selling the $50,000 vehicle, I'm going to talk about more disposable income. I'm going to talk about a lot of the built in amenities that are really generic nowadays, like Bluetooth. Uh, satellite radio, a lot of things that are on the uh, top of the line vehicle, I'm going to talk about in my vehicle and then keep reminding the the buyer that they're going to have more money left over and as good, in some cases even better uh, ride because some of the high end vehicles, depending on the model, if it's a sports model, it does ride a little hard so I'm going to bring that up. I'm not going to talk about All the sexy features and the slickness of it. I'm going to talk about those things that make me better, make my product better. And if I'm looking for a career or jobs change, I want to understand the model candidate. I want to interview those in that position. So if I was going into an industry that I knew nothing about, I would find in my own circle of friends or relationships, someone in that industry And start asking them questions, not the good stuff about what they like about it. I want to know what they don't like about it. What could be better? How I can be better coming in, understanding these things. Those are things you want to do when you're trying to negotiate at a job level, when you're changing positions. Don't just think because you've done the job somewhere else that is the same everywhere. You have to know the team players. You have to know the manager, the director, the employees. who is a valued cheerleader so when you're in the interview you need to find out who has the most weight and sometimes it's not the CEO the decision-making the president director you have to find out who that person is by observing and getting to know everybody not from a fake standpoint but be genuine be authentic and if it's for you ask real good questions Get the playbook every department has one. understand that it requires input from your point and it also requires a little effort but if it doesn't exist you may have to construct one you may have to read the custom the company's uh, mission statement you may have to read some customer testimonials even look if they are a public traded company see how well their stock is doing over the last five or ten years. See if they've acquired any companies, if they made any mergers, if they had any downsizing. All of this is valuable information so that you can construct something um, of value when you go into those second and third interviews. You have to match your skills and experiences with what is required and don't fudge or lie on your skills. But there are skills that you've done That if you put some thought to it, are really transferable and will work at that next level. The same thing with selling something. There may be an opportunity that you sold a product to one vertical or one industry that is totally opposite of the other industry that you're investigating and trying to sell to. However, there are commonalities between all industries that resist, that rely. In that product you're selling, and you may have to remember how you positioned it and what problem it solved. And sometimes you can solve the same similar or oh, sorry, the same problem, or even a similar um opportunity in another industry by using the same type of um value proposition that you presented before. So become creative, you know, in requesting a meeting. Sometimes You may call someone 20 times trying to get a meeting, and I remember back in the late 80s when I was um, working a sales job as an account executive, and I wanted to have a meeting with a prominent business, I found out that the owner of the business had a race car and went to a racetrack in an area on the weekends and race cars. He had a collection of hot rods or classic cars. So I went to Kmart back then it was no Walmart. It was Kmart and I bought a sports car remote control. I opened up the box took out the remote, sealed the box back up, and mailed it to this CEO, the owner of this company. And in it, a handwritten note says, I understand you like fast cars. If you like the remote, set up a meeting with me next week, any day, any time you're choosing. Here's my number. And he called me. And it was such a creative way of getting a meeting. I went in, we talked about his passion, broke the ice with the cars. And then I told him that I've been trying to get a meeting with you for at least 20 times. I followed your business and I see that you have struggles in this particular part of your business. That I'm positive that I can help you with X, Y and Z. After about an hour, hour and a half meeting, I was able to put together a proposal and consequently he bought from me and we became partners because I don't believe in selling anything to a customer. I believe in becoming partners so that when you're in need, you reach out to me or when someone else, you know, is in need, you call me and you send them to me so I can continue to help because the best thing you can do is to serve and help people when you're doing those things you'll find out that you have a lot more fun doing your job I also use personal buying experiences I understand the price points of my products I check consumer reports to find out not only what we're saying about our product as a company no matter who I'm working for but I want to know what consumer reports were saying now, today, you don't have as much consumer reports, but you do have the Internet. You have uh, testimonials. Uh, if, you, if you bought anything from Amazon or any of those online providers, you can go. You can see what other uh, people that are buying a product is saying about it. And if it's anything other than Stellar that can be fixed, then you share that with your internal research and development groups or Sometimes it's not even a bad idea to send a message to that customer asking them to share their experiences with you and try to find a way to make their experiences with that product a little bit better. Because it's better to have more cheerleaders than enemies. You can have someone that doesn't like a product, doesn't like a company, and they'll tell 20 people they don't like it. But it's hard to find a person as a cheerleader that likes a product. Normally, they are quiet unless you reach out to them proactively asking for their input. Unless it's a great product like a, a, a big brand out there that is just easy to talk about and they tell their friends. That's one thing. Most of the time, if someone is helped happy with something, they don't say too much. But if they're unhappy, they're going to tell the world. And you need to understand the strength and weakness of all brands. You need to understand uh, better negotiating buying periods. So here's what I'm talking about in terms of buying periods. A lot of companies have money to spend during their fiscal year for different things. Right. So you have to understand when those are because it's different for all businesses. Um, Some businesses may operate the same on a calendar year. That's. January through December, and some may operate on a fiscal year. Okay, that starts in November will be the first quarter, and it ends in October. So if you're trying to get someone to invest with you, try to do a lot of your fact-finding and uh, pipeline building at the beginning of any year because chances are those companies need to spend those funds sometime in late second or or, or early third of, of, of the year, third quarter, which is your uh, July, August and September time frame. So if you're negotiating with somebody in the beginning of the year, um, you want to try to get that closed for a lot of different reasons. First, they have the money to spend. Second, if you're a salesperson you're probably operating on a calendar year quota system, which means that your quota starts in January and December. What do you think your year would look like if you bought in a lot of business in that in the second quarter, middle, third quarter time frame? And you close out your quota by August. That gives you September, October, November, December to pile on. what you currently have so that you can hit those escalators those those thresholds that pay you uh, extra commission extra bonus that might be the time you need to get you through to the sales trip for next year and guess what if you end the year strong and you tee up some business around the October November December timeframe they may not be ready to buy until January through March but if you know that, then you can have what I like to call a fast start to the year. And you can have your quota done before January is over uh, in the first two weeks, working on the next month. So you're always working ahead. That requires a lot of discipline. But it's fun when you do it because it's nothing like knowing you got money coming in from work you've already done. That's like planting seeds in one season, hoping and working hard for the harvest in the next season. So you're doing the same thing with sales is that you plant seeds early so that you can eat off of that harvest come fall, come late su- summer. When you if you're a farmer, you, you want to get your corn out the way you want to get your tobacco out the way. Um, these are all good uh, tactics to use in sales as well. Fourth, know your customer, your business partner. So here's what, here's what I, 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 I say I do with this. As I said, no one is a win to me. They're all business partners. So I'm going to check DMB. I'm going to check uh, their stock. I'm going to see if they're publicly traded. I'm even going to check their uh, P&L balance sheets to see how they spend money. If they lose their money, if if they own a lot of products, if they're in deep, as far as credit, all that is public information. If they're a public company, if they're not, it can be a little difficult. And I have another session to talk about reviewing private companies' financials if you're signing them up to be a distributor. View the website. Companies are proud of their accomplishments, so know where they are. If a company did something great, it's going to be a press release out. It's going to be news out. Um, they're going to shop from the highest mountain that they did a great job because they want that press to turn out to be uh, something that draws in more customers. So look for that. Here's another trick that I, that I learned a long time ago. If you see a company that's on a massive hiring uh uh, campaign. You see their ads everywhere. And if you if you are watching LinkedIn or CareerBuilder or Indeed or any of those job sites and you see a lot of job titles for the same company and you're in sales, chances are they're growing. And if they're growing, they're going to need stuff. Whether it's office furniture, whether it's uh, products and services for communication, Or whether it's a new 401k plan for their companies. You know, they're always going to be looking to grow if they're in a growth mode and it requires additional opportunities for the employees. That way you can search for commonality between your company and your partners, because you can talk about things that your business went through much like their businesses. Or you can talk about a company that you've helped in the past that went through a similar growth spurt. And now look at them and pull on those on over on those responsibilities and the relationships because they can be a reference to you just like a job references can. Because all businesses like to do business with companies that look like them. And then once you do all of that in that uh, value proposition phase uh, of the six step process, we talked about lead generation, appointment setting, fact finding. Overcome an objective and value proposition. So we're finished the value proposition. They're feeling good about us. We have a good relationship with them. They trust us. And that's big. They trust us. Now it's time to close the deal. So this is the time when you go through four steps. You focus on the benefits of the deal. Period. Just the benefits of the deal that makes sense to that particular partner or opportunity. Don't talk about something in the closed deal part that has nothing to do with solving their problem. Tie in the benefits with their current strategies that you mentioned over the fact-finding uh, uh, scenarios, because you can go back to that fact-finding session and say, well, Mr. So-and-so or Mrs. So-and-so, you said that if you could do X, Y, and Z, this would be a benefit to you. And here's how uh, a, B, and C that I wrote down in this, in this deal for you helps X, Y, and Z. And then magnify your position as a leader for this deal. So jump on those things that you are clearly a leader of, especially if those things solve a problem or are beneficial to uh, the person you're talking to. Show corporate payoff uh, to achieve results for the company and their shareholders. Tie it back to a revenue piece. Tied back to increased profitability, increased customer satisfaction. And nowadays, companies love uh, net promoter score or NPS. And for those companies that are really in tune with the whole process of NPS, even have an a E-NPS, which is employee net promoter score. Basically, what it means is companies have customers, for the most part, that love their products. Um, so, on a scale of one through 10. And nine to 10 are people that are happy with your product and what they call promoters. And anything below uh, a a seven, one to seven are really like uh, detractors. And then uh, that, I'm sorry, the seven, eight are are, are, are like people that are just in the middle. You know, that's nowhere to be because you're going to take those people and you're going to throw those people out. And then one to six, you're going to minus that from the people from nine to 10. And you're going to come up with percentages. And the higher the percentages, the more 9s to 10s you have. That's basically what it means. Um, the 7s and 8s are just passive people that are using a the product. They're really not happy about it. They're really not unhappy about it. But they're really not going to promote your product. The nine to 10s are, but the 1 through 6, which outnumber the nine and 10s in terms of a scale, are going to be the ones that are going to tell everyone they know, especially if they're lower on this on the scale of one through six. Don't use that product. Don't go to that company because of this experience I had. And people trust their friends more than they trust the ads and what the company writes about themselves in a, in a paper, even if it's a editorial. Those are paid for by a lot of times of companies and employees. And customers know that those aren't really real. When you get to that point and you show the corporate payoff to achieve results uh, and shareholder value, then it's time to just ask for the sale. Just ask them, have I done enough to prove that I'm a, I'm a great partner for you and that I've shown where my product and services are a benefit to you? And it's, it's ask questions like, how long do you want to continue the current profit margins that are not benefiting uh, the additional revenue potential. Basically if they have a profit margin, I'm going to call it 15%. Okay. It's cool at 15%, but how long do they want to rely on that 15% when inflation is is getting higher? um, The cost of doing business is getting higher. It's better to be in at 30 to 40% profit margin so you can build some sustainability and longevity, then the low end, they understand that. And then once they agree to doing business with you, ask for a referral before you even leave, you know that do you have any friends or business partners or associates that can benefit from my services in the future? And once that happens, if it all goes well, and this is your customer to win, you're going to have a whole lot of referrals down the line, and then you will have a customer that can be a uh, poster child for your product and services. So hopefully you gained something from today's podcast, The Art of Negotiating. And again, I'm your host, Kevin Pratt the second, and you've been listening to Leading from the Middle. Thank you.